Listener Production. Hi, I'm Jo Stanley and this is Best of You in the House of Wellness. With the help of mindfulness coach Emma Murray, this podcast teaches us how to shift our thoughts and control our emotions so that we can overcome life's daily challenges, the ones we expect and the ones we never saw coming. The coronavirus pandemic has hit us all hard. We're all feeling anxiety, loneliness, grief, fear, boredom, the list goes on. But what if we're able to turn loss into opportunity so that this stillness that's been forced on us becomes a precious time of rediscovering the best of us, our strengths and passions, of remembering who we are and what lights us up? In this episode, Em teaches us how to reframe our fearful thoughts and how to stop the behaviours that don't help us, those habit loops. And at the end of the ep, she gives us a lovely calming breath exercise that brings our churning, running mind back into alignment with our heart to help you through this day or even just this moment. Em, here we are in the last episode It's amazing to me that we started creating this podcast before COVID-19 changed the world, but all of the lessons that we've learned throughout these incredible conversations really hold true. Not only are they useful, these lessons, but they're as relevant as ever, even in the face of a global pandemic. Yeah, you know, that's what I've enjoyed so much about our guests and and the conversations you and I have had is that the lessons that they've woven through their stories and that they've shared with us, so generously shared with us, are lessons that help us no matter what the situation we find ourselves in. So universally, we, I think, repeatedly acknowledge that there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of grief and loss and loneliness that has come out of this crazy virus. And Uncertainty would probably be the pervasive feeling that we're having as a global community, locally, as families and individuals. And you've spoken a lot, Em, and you've taught me a lot about the science of how our brains work. How do we react to uncertainty? Well, we react uh, in a way that uh, we have labelled anxiety for most of us. That's <laughs> what we, we get all these intense feelings and we get all these intense thoughts and what we've been told or what we've learned is that's what anxiety feels like. But really what is happening to us is that our mind and our body is just trying to continually protect us and continually be on the lookout for the things that could trip us up. And, you know, whenever we go into any situation, we have to appreciate that our mind is hypervigilant. Its job is to keep us safe. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you are an at-home parent or you're an elite athlete who's about to walk onto the MCG in front of hundreds of thousands of people, your mind is still looking for danger, danger, danger. And so whenever times become uncertain, that just increases. And so too, we feel an increase in that racy heart, the tight shoulders, you know, the mind that starts shutting down and not making great decisions. And uh, yeah, as I said, we label that as scared, fearful, anxious, but really it's our mind just doing what our mind is supposed to do. So then if we recognise in ourselves, if we have the self-awareness of our physiology that our heart is racing, that, that you know, we're unable to relax our shoulders or all of the different things that are obviously a manifestation of what our fears are, then what do we do? So this is exactly what 
I want people to learn from the many episodes of this podcast. I want them to learn the how. I think well, there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of Instagram co- quotes, a lot of um, great information which helps us recognise that we are feeling anxious or we are feeling worried or we're not as confident as we should be. But now people are really sitting there going, but what do I do? How do I shift that? Um, I can recognise it, but I can't shift it or get out of it or change it. And so for me, I really want people to be able to learn that there's two parts of shifting that. And the, and the first part is to do with the, the physical body and that when our heart is racing and our shoulders are tight and, and we're feeling a little bit sick, that we can switch that off and um, that once we've switched that off, that then we can start shifting our focus to something more useful, something more productive. So let me bring that to life. You know, I'll bring it to life with actually a situation that I had last week, which was where I had to run a workshop over Zoom. I'm terrible with technology. So beforehand, I was so negative. I can't do this. This is not going to work. I was really cross with the kids. I was really tense around the house. I could feel it in my body. And what we are hoping for people to learn, I did do it eventually. It took longer than I should have. <laughs> um, but we're all, you know, this is this is another important point. We're not we're not always going to be great at it, but it's, it's no, having... No, I mean, it's encouraging to me. It is am encouraging to me that even you struggle. Oh, <laughs> I yes. don't wish for that upon you, but, you know, to know that we all have to keep practising this. Yeah. You know, I said to my husband after the Zoom call, oh, thanks for your support today. And he looked at me, he said, oh, it was very stressful. I'm not sure how how stressful you really realise it is when I'm trying to support you when you're in that state. So, yeah, I'd gone to a really... So I want to explain this term, unhelpful state. When I was, you know, really cross at the kids and I was running around the house and I'm pressing buttons trying to make it work and, you know, my voice is tight and my breath is shallow, that is not helpful to me. It's not very resourceful to me. I don't have any great resources that I can use in that moment. I don't have a clear head. I don't have a calm voice. It means everyone around me is calm. I don't have a posture which is going to keep me... um, present and upright. I don't have anything that is a resource that is going to help me perform at my best on that call. And so when we can shift physically, so I can change, I can turn down those feelings that are making me feel out of control. And then I shift my focus to, okay, I've delivered this information before. The people on the other end of the line don't expect me to be an expert in technology. They ne- expect me to be good at mindfulness and, you know, they together we'll get through this and I can ask for help. Had I shifted my focus and shifted my body quicker, then I would have had more resources to use in that moment. I would have had a calmer mind. I would have had more clarity. I would have had a deeper breath that was able to help me get oxygen to my brain. So my brain would have thought more clearly. So I can see very clearly the the two steps. One is recognising and being aware of how we're manifesting all of the anxiety Mm -hmm. in our body. Yep changing the physiology of that by choice. Like we have a choice to say to ourselves, well, I am going to relax my shoulders right now. And as we do that, then we remember what our strengths are. We've Mm -hmm. spoken a lot about strengths here. So then we, we look at 
as you call it, the evidence that shows that we are capable of this. Absolutely, because that is not where our mind is wired to go. It is not wired to say, hey, stop panicking, you're good at this. People love your information. You've done it many times before. That is not what our mind does. It doesn't care about that. It only cares about warning you about the things that could go wrong. And even to the point where it wants to replay times where in your past you've even got it wrong, times where in the past technology has tripped me up. (laughs) I'm familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah, so it, it, it like bombards us and what we do is we just start taking action from that state. And I think we've got to a place now um, in society where we can label that, oh, I'm really anxious before I present, or technology makes me anxious. We can label that, but we don't know what to do with it. And that's a bit like, you know, I look at the past when exercise was something that some people did. We all didn't exercise. And then we got to a point where we started understanding why exercise was good for us. And now, you know, particularly we've seen with how life is at the moment, you see how committed people are to doing their exercise, no matter whether a gym is open or not. So it's ingrained in them. They know how to keep fit. They know what to do. And we want mindfulness to get to that stage. We want as many people in the world, as many kids in schools, as many athletes, as many parents, knowing when I feel like this, when I'm behaving like this, when I'm taking action like this, I know what to do. So what are the things we can do once we recognise the physiology in which we're not at our best, how do we slow it down and then shift our physiology? Is it just a choice? You could call it a choice, but I like to say it's a couple of things. One, it's awareness. That's the thing that trips us up is our awareness. It's quite often after the fact, like I looked back after I finished the Zoom, after it was successful, I looked back and went, oh, you know, that wasn't great the way I behaved before that started. So we're trying to, the first thing we're trying to do is build greater awareness in the moment. And I love the stories that the athletes have shared with us because it, it, it makes us go, oh, I do that. That's that's me. That's what I also do. And, and it helps our awareness and we don't write it off as a personality trait. So many mm. people write it off like, oh, I'm just like yes. that. You yes. know, um, or you're lucky because you're confident or she's really mm. calm, but I'm not like that. It's not a personality trait. It's an actual skill that we can practice. So rather than calling it a choice, let's call it a practice because mm-hmm. we're going to suck at it and and then we're going to get a little bit better at it, but we're never going to be masters of it. You know, I, I claim you take a Buddhist monk who you would say is a master of pausing, staying calm, regulating his emotions. You put him in an airport and he's going to miss his flight. He's going to look, you know, he's going to get those feelings in his body and he's going to get agitated. So one, we have to have that awareness and that is a practice in itself. It's not a case of beating yourself up about it. It's sort of going through the process I went through. At the end of that call, I stopped, I reflected, I Mm. critiqued what I did and I went, you know what, that didn't help me then. I need to do it differently next time. Okay, what could I do differently next time? You know, and so it's actually having awareness, critiquing and then, yes, choosing to take a breath 
practicing taking a breath. But here's the thing that I think is so important. It's committing to learning how to take a breath when we're not in the stress. That sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? Because we all breathe all of the time. So maybe let me reframe it. It's committing to learning how to take conscious breaths, learning how to check in on your body, learning how to use your breath to change your body when you are not in stress so that when you are in stress, you know how to do it. So, so many um, of my athletes have a breathing practice and that they'll do it first thing in the morning. Some you know, of my athletes have more of a formal meditation practice, but in that they're using it to, so mindfulness meditation is about having the ability to check in on the different parts of your body, checking in on your breath. So they're practicing that each day. You want to practice that and bring that into your life so that when you're in the stress, it's a tool that's already in your toolbox. Because if it's not there, you can't use it. And what you're doing when you're practicing it is you're training yourself to be able to direct your focus. As you've taught us, mm-hmm. we can only have one focus. Yep. We can only choose to put our focus on one thing at a time. So as we're practicing breath work or understanding how to be aware of the different parts of our body, that's what we're training ourselves to do. Yes. So... The breath is twofold. The breath has two really important roles. So one, when I take a breath that is deeper and longer and that really engages my diaphragm. So imagine like, not the belly, but imagine the the diaphragm, the rib cage really moving and, and creating space for the lungs to fill up. So it's expanding and the lungs can fill up. When I'm doing that, it means that the breath, the depth of the breath sends a message to my brain that, hey, the danger's gone away. Now think about that. If I'm a caveman about to be getting getting eaten by the tiger and the tiger leaves, the first thing I'm going to do is take a really deep breath. So our body knows that when I breathe like that, I'm not in danger. So it stops looking for danger and stops running stories of danger. So the breath is a way of switching off that message to the mind to say, hey, there's a, a, there's a danger here. But it's twofold. The second part of the breath is that when I am focused on the breath, particularly if I'm counting the breath, so when I am counting the breath whilst I'm also expanding my chest, expanding the diaphragm, whilst I am doing that, then my focus cannot be on, I'm terrible, this is going to be a disaster, I don't know this information, I'm not good enough to do this, what if I fail, what if I get it wrong, what if I miss that goal, what if no one likes me? It cannot be on counting the breath or watching the breath or following the breath and on those stories at the same time. So that's why the breath is so powerful because it ticks off both things. It ticks off shifting the physical, but it also ticks off shifting the focus. Now, once everything is under control, now I can take my focus off the breath and I can put it on, I'm really good at this. I know how to do this. When I ask questions, when I listen to the audience, then I come up with great answers and people connect with me and I have great impact. Then I can put my focus on that. But when we try and grab our focus from stress to strengths in one big jump 
our mind will pause there for a moment and then quickly go back and look for the danger. At this time, when we're kind of redefining how we're living, we don't know yet exactly what the world will look like a year from now, maybe even six, six months from now. We do know, though, that we seem to have time where we didn't have time before. I suppose it's, it's an opportunity. How can we turn this time and, and make use of the stillness? Yeah, it's a it's a great question and it's something that, you know, for me changes every day, changes every week depending on, you know, how you're feeling and the lens you're looking through determines sort of the opportunity that you see, the opportunity that mm. that you're able to identify. But really the opportunity there is for us to build that awareness of ourselves and actually, you know, because Noise distracts us a lot in life. Busyness distracts us a lot in life. We're so busy doing this, helping that person, getting that done, that we don't have to pay any attention to that. And I know you talk about this a lot, Joe. that little voice inside you that guides mm. you and is telling you the direction that you want to go and telling you, you know, what's working for you and what's not working for you. There's an inner compass, there's an inner guidance system that is always trying to tell us what's right for us. And we just layer it with noise and busyness and distraction. And, and I think often we choose to layer it because we're scared of that voice. Oh, gosh. Like yeah. I know I, I spent years in jobs that completely distracted me from actually what that voice, that the voice of the heart was telling me yeah. because it was easier to be busy than to be still and hear it. Absolutely. And, you know, people are maybe listening to this going, I don't know what you're talking about and I don't or maybe I know what you're talking about but I don't know how to do that. There's no right or wrong way to do that. It's actually just allowing yourself time and space to be still and that might be just walking at a gentle pace. Like even when we exercise, we're going at a frenetic pace, which is clicking us into this sympathetic mode, which is our fight and flight part of our nervous system. We're switching that on even when we exercise, you know, and we're doing these intense classes and and we're constantly running, constantly moving. So it's like just sitting, you don't have to know how to meditate. You might just sit be still, connect with that breath and allow whatever to come up to come up and giving it space and listening to it and questioning it. I think there's such an incredible opportunity to do that. You know, however this looks and, and wherever we end up, we want to be able to take the learnings that we're getting from this little little pause that Mother Nature has given us, this little gift she's given us to say, I'm just going to press pause on that busyness and I'm going to take all the noise away. And here's my gift to you. I know it's a gift that's wrapped up in a pretty ugly casing, but it is a little gift. Go and use it and then take those learnings, take those lessons back into the world and back into the busyness and hold on to those lessons and try and do things slightly differently. I would love for people to be willing to accept or surrender perhaps is the word to the stillness, which is hard because it's, it goes hand in hand with the uncertainty. So if you are able though to surrender to the stillness and then ask yourself what 
am I passionate about? Well, what excites me? What do I remember as a child used to just light me up? Or what what do I want? What do I want out of life? And if the answer to that is different to where you currently are, I don't know, have the courage to think, well, how do I fill that gap? And what what will I be now? Or how who will I be? And it doesn't need to be a massive thing. Like you don't have to go and quit your job <laughs> and sell your house and, you know, buy a yacht. But <laughs> I I feel like it's that's that's a real opportunity we've been presented. Yeah, I've done an exercise which is so beautiful. It, 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 I didn't quite expect for it to have this result or reaction or whatever you want to call it um, with a few um, of my clients over the break where I have had them call a number of friends and ask their friends, why do you love me? Like, what what Aww. what do you love about me? And, um, and, you know, it's quite a confronting thing to do. It's not yes. easy to do at all. And, you know, what they found, some people were really like gave their answers, but then you could see sort of an hour later really thought about it and sent through all these text messages but you start to see patterns, like I love the way that you inspire me to do this or you always make me feel this or you bring this into my life. And you'll start to see patterns around what's your natural best and what are you naturally best at when you, because around our friends, you know, what they love us for is who we truly are. And when you see those patterns, you are able to hold those patterns up against your life and what you're doing and how you're going Mm. about it and seeing if that fits. And it's not about going and getting a new job, but perhaps I can go about the job that I'm currently doing in a different way so I'm more honouring that natural best. And we took these patterns and we're able to put it into like a sentence around the contribution and the impact we wanted to have on our lives and on other people and um, it was so powerful and had we not taken it to that next level, just seeing what our friends said about us was life-giving. It was amazing. So I highly recommend to do that. It is, it's hard but it's great for you and great for your friends. You know, because sometimes we get bogged down in that I'm not doing enough or I'm not, my purpose is not big enough or what does purpose even mean? I have no purpose. It's, if you impact, you know, your children and then they contribute, you know, and then they grow up to do something, you know, that's still your impact, your contribution. Um, If you impact someone at the, as you're getting a cup of tea in the, in the work kitchen and, you know, and then they go home to their families and, and they share, you know, a different perspective. That is having impact. That's having contribution. It doesn't have to be on a grand scale to make you feel like your natural best is worthwhile and that your natural best can bring something to the table. But the busyness, the noise Mm. pulls us off that natural best and just shoves us into, I've got to, I have to, I should, and um, we just get buried. (laughs) Well, you bring up should. How many should statements are we giving ourselves at the moment? The the pressure that I am feeling and I've said it to everybody I know and they're reflecting it back to me, so I think we're all feeling it. You know, we're talking about 
using this time and the opportunity that it presents. But at the same time, then we're going, well, how come I haven't, oh. you know, cleared out all my cupboards? Why haven't Marie Kondo'd half the house? Why haven't I, <laughs> why haven't I, you know, written an entire comedy series? That's what I've been saying to myself. The pressure. I haven't even watched sh- a Netflix series. Not one. What have you been doing, Emma? You should be doing this. So many should statements. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do our brains go to we should be doing this right now? Yeah, because it's it's fear. It's it's really saying, you know, you should do that because if you don't do that, then you're not a worthy person or you're not good enough or you're not doing what other people are doing or you're not as good as the person at work who's cleaned her whole house. You know, it, it's just wants to constantly warn us, hey, you really should do that because if you don't, you're in danger of people not liking you and that's bad mm. and I want to keep you safe from that. It's great that our mind cares for us, but it's highly destructive. <laughs> you will never, ever get to a level where you have ticked off everything that you should do. And there is this thing that holds all humans back. It's called the when I, then I'll. And it's like, when I clean all my cupboards, then I will have used this time productively. Mm. When this is all over, then I'll be able to, you know, feel free of anxiety. When I go to Hawaii for a holiday, then I'll be able to relax. And when we arrive there, then there's just another thing to replace it. And, you know, it's this game we play with ourselves continually and it always keeps us in a state of not being enough, not doing enough. And this is the crux of mindfulness. Mindfulness is saying right here, right now, this conversation is enough I don't have Mm. to wait to get to Hawaii before I have an amazing experience. This experience is enough. Then the next moment I can use productively and I can be present and I can do my best and show up with my best and that is enough. And that is at the whole crux of mindfulness. Well... I got to say, when you talk about the when I, then I'll, Mm. uh, something that comes up for me immediately, perhaps more so for women than men, but who knows, probably not these days, is our constant body image conversation. When I lose five kilos, then I'll be more lovable or... For me, it's always this conversation, why did I eat that pasta last night? Or mm. I shouldn't have had bread this morning. Or this is, you know, oh, well, I better go for a run because I <laughs> had a jam donut. You know, like just mm. that is with me always. And I think that's got to be one of the most pervasive when I then I'll statements. Oh, like I, I, I'm actually sitting here speechless because it's like, I just wish there was a way to take that away from everyone. I really do. And there is a way. It's mindfulness. It's like right here, right now, I'm just tasting this donut. That is all I'm doing. And And it tastes delicious. It (laughs) tastes great. And, you know, I'm because half the time these things that women are eating that they know they shouldn't, they're not even enjoying because they're already worried about why they're eating it. And it's so messed up. And, you know, so mindfulness is the absolute antidote to that. But gosh, you have to practice. Like you really have to practice. That is, if you can master that, you're going to master anything. So it's this continual practice of being present, of Mm. just all I'm doing is eating a donut. That is all I'm doing. 
And it's also, but there's a whole lot of layers. It's also um, knowing that we're good enough and worthy enough and, you know, that comes down to society. It goes on and on and on and on. Mm. But let's just start, let's not try and fix all those layers. Let's just try and fix recognising when we go to that story, recognising when we go to that feeling, catching it quickly, taking a breath, shifting that feeling in our body, putting our focus onto something more useful like, you know, I really enjoyed that donut. It's great that I can, you know, enjoy my food and I'm healthy and I'm fit and everything in balance is great. You know, so it's it's just let's just start by recognising it, catching it and attempting to shift it. You speak there, Em, about returning to present moment awareness. Mm. That is mindfulness. That's the essence of it essentially. Well, um, it is because you haven't put on five kilograms in that moment. That has exactly, not happened Exactly, right here, yet. right now. Yeah, you right. know, you have not just got a jam donut sticking on your bum. Like that has <laughs> not happened yet. <laughs> um, and so in this moment, just taste it. And in the next moment, you know, behave according to your values. And if your values are to be healthy, go for a run. If they're not, you know, like, yes, I'm just, um, it's just a hard one. It's a really, it, it, it takes all of our practice. The question though, I think that a lot of people may be asking is, this present moment awareness you speak of, mm-hmm. how how yes. do we become present? That is the question, isn't it? Because we all have heard about being present, being present, get present. And to get present, I actually think you have to understand what that term even means and you have to understand what, understand what it actually means to not be present. So when we are saying be present. What we are talking about is being right here, right now. So my feet are in this spot. My feet are sitting on the floor right now. My bum is on the chair right now. And my heart is beating right now. But my head, it has left the the building or it's left that moment. So my head has gone to... So if in that moment I'm just sitting in a chair listening to someone talk... I am, I'm physically there, but my head has gone to a moment that is either in the future, which is um, something like, you know, this person's voice really annoys me. When will this be finished? I'm so sick of this. Oh my gosh, I've got to pick up the kids from school. What am I going to eat tonight? So it's gone to something forward of the moment. And it's also typically gone to something where it's judgmental or it's making a judgment about something or it's gone to a moment in the past. So it's gone to a moment where you're sitting there, your feet are in the, in the same room as the person talking, but you've gone back to, God, I wish I'd done that email before I came into this meeting. I really, I'm going to run out of time. And so it's gone to a moment in the past. Now, typically what we tend to say is when your head is constantly running forward, it's going to stories about what if it's going to stories like, oh, what if I don't make it home in time for the kids? What if um, the answer I'm about to give is not good enough? What if they don't like it when it's my turn to speak, they don't like me? So it's going forward and those what ifs tend to produce a very racy feeling, a very anxious feeling. 
If we are someone who tends to go back all the time, oh, I can't believe I said that. Why did I do that? Why didn't I bring my drink bottle in? If we're constantly going back, then it tends to feel a lot heavier. It tends to mm. feel a lot flatter. Or even is it is it like an I miss? I miss that. I wish I still had that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like that sadness yeah, for, of longing for something. Yeah. It's, it's mm. sad. It's heavy. I'm not going to say you've got depression, but it's more mm. depressive. And we tend to be one or the other. Some people are lucky enough that they got both. Um, but <laughs> we tend to be, I'm, I'm, I'm a go forward. I, I, I jump forward to things. And so when we're talking about being present, we're talking about picking up that attention, picking up that focus and putting it back where our feet are, where our bum is and what's happening right here, right now. And it sounds so simple and and people, that's why people throw around, oh, I'm just going to get present. I'm going to be more present. When isolation's finished, I'm going to be more present. You know, they throw it around like it's, but it's actually a skill that needs a lot of practice. Do you know how many seconds we stay in the one spot for, Joe? do you reckon, our attention? Have I told you this before? Uh, no, I don't know that. Yeah, so... We, our attention stays in the one spot for seven to nine seconds. And they actually think probably that was from a couple of years ago, that study. And now it's probably more like three to seven seconds before our mind jumps off. Wow. So it is a case of just picking it up, bringing it back. Now, it's a bit like a naughty dog at a dog park, a dog that runs (laughs) off and is like gets bored and I just want to run over and sniff that and roll in that and do that. It's not going to come back unless you really give it a reason to come back. So to get your dog back, how would you do that? I would, I always have chicken in a bum bag around my waist. That's right. It's attractive. (laughs) So you use a chicken in your bum bag and the dog comes back, right? Your attention is exactly the same. It's gone off. It doesn't care about what that person's saying. It actually wants to jump off into, you know, stories about why you don't like that person or why is she wearing those shoes or, um, you know, what you're going to do in the afternoon. So you have to pick up that attention and give it a reason to come back. And that's where we go, hey, could you come back and check out my breath? Could you just see if my breath, if my shoulders are really soft? Can you see if my posture is really tall? You've got to give it a job. What do my feet feel like on the floor? What's the bum feel Mm. like? What can I hear that person say? What can I notice when I'm looking at them? We tend to go to what can I see? What can I hear? What can I feel? What can I smell? What can I taste? Beautiful exercise. If you're anxious, really feeling out of control and not present, just literally run through five things I can see, four things I can hear, three things I can feel, two things that I can smell, one thing that I can taste. And that'll just pull you Mm. straight back into the moment. And so so we are trying to get in that moment. Once I'm in the moment, then I can jump into, okay, this is why I'm good. This is what I'm great at. This is why people are going to like me. Then I can get into my strengths so that my resources available to me when I'm about to drive a car, kick a football, walk into that room, have an important conversation. Now I'm fully in my strengths, ready to go. I think another really beautiful thing to bring you present is gratitude, which we've spoken a lot of. It's been absolutely one of my favourite exercises you've given us, M. 
And in and around that at this time, I feel that gratitude leads then on hopefully to a hope and a faith that everything will be okay. Yeah, I just think gratitude is is like our superpower at the moment. Um, mm. You know, it's so tempting to focus on what we don't have, what we're not allowed to do, what we've lost, what's different. And, you know, when we actually put our focus on what we do have and, and what we're blessed for, you know, it, it's understanding that I'm changing emotional states right there and we don't want to just give it lip service. We want to really use that like it's 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 our absolute superpower. But that word hope and that word faith is just critical and mm. I think people are really scared of hope. They feel like they're sort of being unrealistic and really the definition of hope is a trusting feeling, sitting in a feeling mm. of trust. For my personal situation with Will, I always say I, I have faith over hope just because I get criticised for that word hope. You know, you don't want to give Will hope, false hope. You don't want to sit in false hope. And when you pause to think about that, when we're finding ourselves in any challenging situation, sitting in a, in a belief and an energy and a thought pattern that is trusting that it's going to work out okay for you and okay for your family and okay for our society, that is so resourceful. You know, Mm. we've been talking about these helpful, resourceful states. That is so resourceful because now all of a sudden I'm not in fear. I can think clearly. I can, you know, guide my children. I can show up as the best version of me. It is such a resourceful state. But People are scared that if I sit in that and then it doesn't come true, well, I'm a bit of a fool. Mm. Where it's like I'm just, all we're trying to do is bring our best to the table. So we have to use things like hope and faith to get ourselves in that state where it's got so many things available to us to use in that moment. And faith for me, when I'm holding on to faith, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm having a belief in something that I can't yet see. That's how I see faith. Mm. And, you know, I I have faith that it's going to work out well for my family and it's going to work out well for Will. I don't know what that looks like because I can't see it yet and I don't need to be able to see what it's going to look like, but I just have, I sit in a feeling that it is going to work out well for our family And I don't put a definition around what well means or what, you know, positive means. I just sit in that feeling. And when I'm in that feeling, it's so resourceful for me. I can do so many things and help so many people and be present and help my kids and sometimes master Zoom, not always. (laughs) (laughs) But But I I agree with you, Em. Like I, I just have faith that we will be okay. Yeah. No matter the outcome. Yeah. And the outcome could be horrific, probably more than I could imagine right now. Who knows? But we will still be okay. Yeah. It allows me to feel calm. Mm. And the evidence, you know, you, you as you say, you look to your evidence and, and the strengths that you have and, and for me also my life experiences and I just know, well, I have been okay and yep. my family have been okay. But at the moment, obviously people are really hurting yep. and are very scared and lots of people are struggling with loneliness and, and also that financial insecurity is devastating, but I still believe we'll be okay. 
Yeah. And it's accepting that you are not going to know what that looks like right now. Yes. That yeah. when I can see it, then I'll believe in it, where I'd like to flip it around the other way. Just mm. believe in it and then you'll see it or you might see a different version of it, but just believe that no matter what version gets presented to you, you have the resources, you you have the ability, you have the inner strength to be mm. okay. And gratitude, hope, faith, trust, whatever you want to sit in right now, it is more productive, more effective, more useful than anxiety, fear, doubt, you know, panic. And our day-to-day moment-to-moment experience is purely determined by the emotional state that we sit in. And we have control over that by Mm. choosing to either think a hopeful thought or think a gratitude, you know, be grateful in that moment. We have control over that. And as soon as you take control back when there's a lot of moving parts around you and a lot of changing things, then everything calms down. It's hard. Like I don't want to make listeners feel like, oh, you know, easy for you. You don't know my Mm. situation. It's hard. Mm. And for me, what's hard in my life is seeing a son who has lost all feeling and movement from the chest and shoulders down. He's lost all independence. He's lost everything that we define a, a productive life. He's He, on appearance, has lost that. It is so difficult to choose hope and gratitude and, and faith when you're presented with something like that, but I choose it because it feels better. That's as Mm. simple as that. That's it. I choose it because it Mm. feels better. Well, we have, of course, brought a mindfulness exercise to each episode. And Em, you have a beautiful exercise for us now to help us with that mind leaving the present moment. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, there are so many different exercises you can do. And I really want to stress, it's not about doing an exercise right. It's about just choosing to do something and, um, you know, borrow this, use this. This is simple. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk you through it by putting our hands in particular places. But if you're in an environment where you can't close your eyes or put your hand on your heart or hand on your stomach, then that is okay. Then just, you know, do it the best you can. But this is, I was talking about before when we're sitting where our feet are, we're sitting where our bum is, but our head has gone somewhere else. We're just going to do a really nice exercise about grabbing that um, head and bringing it back into what I call alignment. So it's like literally bringing my attention and my mind and my head back to where my feet and back to where my bum and back to where my heart is. So I didn't talk about heart before. Because what tends to happen is when our head leaves a moment, our heart starts racing, our heart starts to reacting to those stories and that's when we start this danger, danger, danger loop. So we want to just bring everything back, everything back into right here, right now. I'm just here sitting on a chair. That is all that's happening to me. So we're going to do it together. We're going to put our feet on the floor sitting up in our chair. Now, you can take your right hand and you can place it on your heart or you can place it on your forehead 
and you can take your left hand and place it right on your stomach. So right um, sort of up the top, just under the diaphragm. So we've got one hand on our head or our heart and one hand just below our diaphragm. And so what I'd like you to do in this exercise, we're going to breathe in together and we're going to breathe out together, but we're going to actually count the breaths and you're going to count the breath as well. And what that counting does is when my head has to count my heart, it starts to line up. So my heart is breathing, my head is counting that breath and everything lines up, my feet, my bum, my heart, my head, everything becomes in a line. We're going to do that together and then we're just going to finish. I'm just going to take it over from there and we're going to weave in that gratitude because that's so powerful with what we're all experiencing at the moment. So sitting, getting ready. We're going to do it together. When we're ready, taking a nice deep breath in for the count of four, two, three, four, holding that breath and making sure we're counting out two, three, four, five, six, seven. Breathing in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now just relaxing into that breath. Now that that breath is longer, that breath is deeper, I just want you to bring to mind now something that you're truly grateful for. And as you bring that to mind now, I really want you to bring a picture to mind, bring words to mind, and I want you to really connect to whatever it is that you are grateful for, how that is in your life no matter what changes are happening around you, that that is there, it is yours And I want you to really connect now with the feelings of that gratitude, how blessed you are to have this thing or these things or these people in your life. Feel those feelings now. Feel your whole body warming up, softening, taking that in. And I want you to allow that gratitude just to move up from that heart space all the way into your face and I want you just to feel a a smile come onto your face, really sitting in that gratitude. And when you're ready, taking a really deep breath, locking in those feelings, opening your eyes, coming back into the room. Oh, Em... That was so beautiful. Uh, Thank you so much. I tell you, I, I've been practising mindfulness for many years, but I've learned so much from you and our guests, of course, over this series. But, um, you know, mindfulness, of course, we're always learning. It's a place of learning mindfulness. So um, it's just been a privilege. Thanks so much, Em. Oh, well, I've loved it. You know, mindfulness is a daily practice and like any skill when we learn and we have a heap of different coaches We learn different skills and I've learned off you and I've learned off those conversations with our guests and yeah, it's, it's amazing, amazing listening. 
So we encourage you to seek out more mindfulness resources. There are many out there, including M's Instagram. So do check it out. It is at m.murray.1. It is a fantastic way to remain connected with the amazing work that she does. For lots of other wonderful health and wellness information, head to houseofwellness.com.au. So we bring this episode and this series to a close. And just as we are deeply grateful to our guests for sharing their stories, Emma and I are grateful to you for listening. We hope it has led you to connect with more of the best parts of you and reminded you that quite simply, you are enough. Best of You in the House of Wellness was created and presented by me, Joe Stanley and Emma Murray. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Sound production by Matt Nikolic. For more episodes, head to houseofwellness.com.au or search Best of You in the House of Wellness. Listener.